Hello and welcome to the Manager Mojo Show. Steve Caldwell here and we're so glad that you're here. We use our mojo to really become greater leaders. Now, let's get started by listening to something good. If you really want to improve as a leader, I've got a great deal for you. Simply go to mojouniversity.com and sign up for our two-week trial. Take any of my courses. I promise you, you're going to get better. You're going to learn. Go to mojouniversity.com and sign up totally for free and try us out for two weeks. Hello and welcome everyone to the Manager Mojo Show. Steve Caldwell here, and I'm thrilled to introduce my special guest today, Mr. Jacob Huser. Now, Jacob uh, it has taken up the mantle. He's an evangelist for human-centered construction to help businesses retain talent. Uh, now, I know just from that de uh, description I gave you, you probably can tell he's a unique blend of engineering and instructional experience. And it results in a different kind of training that's been optimized for the learner, not the instructor. We're going to talk about that because uh, there are a lot of good things that we need to know about training managers. And so, Jacob, welcome to the Manager Mojo Show. Glad to have you today. Thanks for having me today, Steve. Excited to be here. Well, uh, before we get started on our uh, little topic today, uh, I wanted to ask you to share with our listeners what fun thing that you've been up to lately outside of work. Well, uh, we're coming here into the fall, and that means it's hunting season here in California. So we happen to be situated right along the Pacific Flyway. Um, it's duck season, and as soon as we get some rain, which will probably be never at this rate, but as soon as we get some rain, uh, hunting season will be in full swing. So I was out last weekend basically setting up the duck blind out in a flooded rice field, stomping around. It was both two feet of water and 90 degrees outside. So <laughs> I don't think everyone would call that fun, but for me, it was pretty fun. Uh, I get it totally. And uh, I know most of my listeners are thinking, gee, in uh, California, they're hunters. And the answer to that is absolutely. <laughs> so, Oh, yeah. All kinds of wildlife and especially um, all the environmental conservation has done wonders for like bird and wildlife habitats. So uh, that's awesome. it's, a good, it's a good place to be a hunter. That's awesome. Jacob, glad to have you on the show today. And uh, I, I, we're going to talk about uh, the need to train managers before they become bad bosses. And before we start on that, I'd like for you to share with our listeners really a little bit, a bit about your background and what caused you uh, to become passionate about this thing called management and leadership. So I guess it, it started out, I was an engineer here in Silicon Valley. And while I think I found over the course of my career that it's not just engineers that suffer from this, by gosh, engineers have a glut of bad management. 
And as I got further on in my career, I started to realize the problem wasn't that these people were intentionally being bad managers or anything like that, but they honestly weren't being equipped. Here in the San Francisco Bay Area, you have people that they grow with the company, the company's 10 people, suddenly you turn around and it's 100 people. And you don't have any managers, so you point to the guy that's been here the longest and say, hey, why don't you manage a team? And off they go. Most of the time they completely fail and it's spectacular. And what happened was I saw this happen again and again and again. And I think most people in management can attest to thinking, well, I could probably do better. And then they become managers and they realize how hard it really is. Mm -hmm. The common thread I started to find, and this was about seven years ago uh, when I was finishing up my time at LinkedIn, was that this wasn't an engineering specific problem. This happens in pretty much every discipline where we create managers, we don't equip them, and then we expect them to be responsible for other people's careers despite having no training in how to do this. And so I took that and when I was at Pinterest, I started investing heavily in how we develop a management team. Because this was the first time for the people I was working with, anyone had received any kind of formal management training. Like sitting down, talking about what is your role? What is your expectation? What do your employees expect of you? And really trying to codify that. And when I left Pinterest, I did because specifically a lot of people were asking, well, how do we do this at our company? How do we do this when we need to? We have a bunch of managers that haven't gotten any training. We're losing talent. We're not able to retain top talent. What do we do? And so that was kind of where Lead SV was born. Uh, I didn't really think I'd end up with a consultant starting as an engineer. That's not really the arc that I really expected I'd be taking. <laughs> but here we are today on Manager Mojo talking specifically about how other people can prevent their management team from becoming those bad bosses before it's too late. Well, I think it's a fascinating story because uh, I, I totally agree with you. This the same pattern plays out across all disciplines all over the world. And uh, we tend to throw people into that, that leadership job that management job. And unfortunately, uh, the vast majority of them fail. Uh, yet, uh, I know that it, you, in one of the statistics that you have quoted before in your work, you, you point out that 87% of millennials rate professional or career growth and development opportunities as the most important factor in a rewarding job. And yet, uh, less than 15% of all employees surveyed that even had any useful training. Uh, you know, it's really sad to me that we continue to repeat this mistake decade after decade. This is, it's not new. It's been going on forever uh, in that people get thrown in these management jobs and they say, okay, here's the key to people's lives. Good luck. Hope you do well. In your experience, uh, you, you say that you have developed training and you want to focus on the learner. Now, I am very interested in your opinion about this because from an engineering background, uh, you're going to bring things to the table that most people don't. So why don't you share a little bit about why you believe most training is not currently set up for the learner? Yeah, I think that's a great question because you think about 
any training anyone's ever been in, the training that exists today. And I'm not going to, you know, rip down other people's programs, but I can speak from experience. I've been in three or four of them. I'm sure, Steve, you've been in a couple, and I'm sure listeners have too, where you go to, say, a two-day leadership seminar, and the day is structured roughly like this. Uh, let's see here. You have donuts in the morning. You have some sort of self-discovery after an icebreaker where you learn more about yourself and you learn about something that other people perceive in you. Then you learn in the afternoon about the dynamics of a team. Day two, you get some more donuts. Uh, you start talking about how do you set objectives and goals. Maybe in the afternoon you wrap up with some difficult conversations. Brush your hands off. Congratulations, you've had a leadership seminar. Now go forth and lead. The problem with that is that the person that gave that training is going to turn around, go down the street, give the exact same training to another group of people, and nothing about this has actually been customized for the realities of the workplace that's supposed to be receiving this development. A great example in engineering, the types of problems engineers struggle with, while we have the interpersonal and dynamic problems, there's a whole suite of technical problems that managers need to be able to wrangle and deal with. And because of that, any training that fails to address that is leaving managers with a false sense of security that they know how to lead, when in reality, they've only started to build up like a fraction of the foundation. Good point. Why don't you give us an example of some of the things that engineers, or that's specific to them, that they need to, to know about and they, need, they struggle with? So a really good example is how to facilitate technical conversations. Um, these are, especially when it's an area that as an engineer, you may not be well versed in. So if you're say an engineer with a lot of experience in Java and your team is taking on a project in C++, even though you don't know anything about that domain, you're still expected to referee these conversations between your technical leaders, your senior engineers, the architects. That's all on you to still be that referee. And a lot of people don't know how to do that. An ex another example would be uh, taking someone that is, say, a manager in marketing and expecting them to facilitate a conversation about sales quotas. They're just not going to be equipped to have the right conversations. And this is why that customization matters. You could give someone the basic foundations and be like, here's how you have a career conversation. But every company I've ever been at, every different role has different expectations of career ladders and therefore has, despite some concepts of difficult conversations being similar, every department has unique nuances about the conversation. So for example, engineers, have usually very different career ladders in other parts of the company. Not because they want to, but because culturally they've developed from engineers that came from say Facebook or Google and have certain expectations about how their career was supposed to progress. That's a great point, Jacob. And I, and I think that uh, it, it goes even deeper for a lot of people, I mean, that are in engineering, and it's one thing to have those conversations about the technical aspects of your job, but one of the things that I've noted that they uh, that people struggle with 
it, and it doesn't necessarily have to be engineers, it comes across all disciplines, is the fact that when you're a manager and you are also expected to report on successes and failures of your group to other groups. And being able to communicate outside of your own specific expertise is uh, something that people never even talk to you about. Most people that I know still today, they hate reporting on what they're doing in their division. Do you find the same thing? Yeah, we find very similar things in engineering and just in the companies I've worked with. I tend to work with uh, what we call research and development groups. So it tends to be engineering, design, product management, and program management. Uh, those groups in particular, you, they're responsible for often collaborating, even though they're rarely speaking the same language. And that disconnect happens a lot. Uh, you see this especially in new managers, where they know one domain, but they don't know how to communicate to the groups outside of them. So you see a lot of disconnects between, say, product and engineering or engineering and design, where everybody wants the same thing. They want to make a successful company. They want to build a successful product. But how they see that route to a success is very different from group to group. And they don't know how to work with one another because they haven't been exposed to each other's dynamics. Absolutely. They, not only uh, have they not been exposed to it, most of them were promoted because they were an expert in a very specific area. And they believe that, okay, if I'm the expert in that area, I don't really have to convince you or sell you or share with you what we're really doing you should just shut up and listen to what I have to tell you. Yeah, and it's actually really scary when managers have that sort of belief coming to our topic around uh, before they become bad bosses. A lot of managers rarely get that humbling moment where they realize like, hey, everything that has gotten me here to a role as a manager is background knowledge to support all of the learning I'm about to do as a manager. Yep, absolutely. And so you see a lot of folks, um, I call it a humbling moment, other people have other words for it, where the first time they realize how little they know <laughs> when it comes to things that were not the domain that got them there in the first place. Yeah, it, it, it's, definitely, uh, it's definitely different to all of a sudden find out that not everybody thinks like you do and acts like you do and makes decisions the way you do. and yet you have to somehow work with them. It can be quite intimidating. So if, if we're going to actually get uh, people trained before they become a bad boss, what are some of your recommendations that people should be considering? Because I think that most people continue to tap their higher achievers to move up into a leadership role, a management role, and they do nothing to prepare them ahead of time or even after they've made the promotion. So what are some of your specific recommendations? Yeah, so I have two specific recommendations, uh, depending on where companies are at when it comes to training managers. Uh, one, one option, which I usually call the shoestring option, is when someone like listening to this podcast goes, oh crap, uh, I need to do something, and I don't have a budget for it, so what do I do? And then the second one is like all in, like we've got a program or we want to put in a program, we funded it, we just need to figure out what to do. The shoestring one I find is probably the easiest. When you want someone to develop their skills before they become a bad boss and you wanna start giving them that training and development they need, the easiest thing you can do is start small. 
don't put them directly in front of somebody's immediate career. Have them start working out the mechanics of management in a safer environment, whether it's leading a project and starting to do the mechanics of, say, running one-on-ones, or potentially overseeing the interns in the summer instead of a direct employee, or overseeing contractors. While it's not full-on employees, it's a chance for them to begin building the muscle memory with the management opportunities that already exist in the company. And most companies have something like this. They either have they have an intern program or they have contractors. And if you don't have anything like that, you can simply put the person in a role where they begin to lead without the actual direct authority. So they're already going in, they're running one-on-ones, they're actually delegating and helping people solve problems. They're starting to think like a manager before they are asked to do what I like to call sort of the, the, the paperwork side. The, the compensation conversations, the uh, promotion conversations, the actual next phase. Because you don't want someone to be learning that while also learning how to understand the dynamics of leadership in the first place. Totally true. Um, on the second side, uh, since I said there were kind of two types, that's a shoestring, which is just take advantage of the opportunities you already have. On the second side, if you're going to go all in, the answer is to actually take your managers and put them in a cohort together hey, you're all our first class of managers. We're all going to learn together. We're going to suffer together. We're going to share our problems. And what you're doing is any program you create, when you put a cohort through, you start building what's called a management community. This idea that managers can rely on one another to collectively solve problems. The worst thing that happens with managers, even when there's a training program, is that they'll go through a training program and still feel like they're on their own. And frankly, that's just not reality. There's a community of managers all around that have great information, and as managers learn to rely on one another, not only will they bring that back to your training programs, but they'll actually start incubating ideas within within the community themselves, and they'll level up the entire management at the company. Now, obviously, not everyone has the budget to do like a cohorted management program, but if you have a management training program, you're already 90% of the way there to just building the cohort piece around it so that the managers that go through your training work together, collaborate together, meet regularly, and talk about their problems. Those are two great suggestions, uh, Jacob. And I, uh, I, I would add one uh, other one for that that doesn't cost any money, and that is to uh, pair up with a good manager, at least develop a personal relationship with that, that manager and really get to know you know, what do they think? How, how, pick their brain. Uh, you could do it through a cup of coffee or a lunch once a month, but you can do things that don't cost a lot of money to be able to, to share best practices. Uh, what do you find uh, or do you find? Uh, I hear this a lot from companies and they'll say, well, you know, we don't, we, we have the budget, but we hesitate on creating a management program uh, because uh, it, it, it takes a lot of extra time, and we think that no matter what we do, we're going to have to change it anyway. What do you say to that type of excuse? So I, I actually I agree with you that it's an excuse. Like, let's just start there. Uh, the reality is, if you already think you have the budget and you're concerned about the time or cost, 
then you're not actually looking at the ROI. And for people that think about cost of bad management, you need to think about it in terms of retention. One thing that hasn't changed since, gosh, like the 40s is that people leave not because of a company, but more often than not because of a bad boss. And so a bad boss, if you lose, say, here in San Francisco, just to put some numbers on this to help people really understand the ROI, let's say you lose not even your best engineer. You lose one of your average engineers on the team. They've been here for three years, so they're making, I don't know, $130,000. Not only are you out that person's productivity, but it costs 75% of that person's salary to go rehire them. Because not only are you losing that person's productivity, you're losing the rest of the team's productivity during interviewing. You're losing your time on sourcing and recruiting. And on top of all of that, whoever comes on board, they still have to learn the system before they can be productive. They don't show up on day one and they're instantly as good as the average engineer you lost. They have ramp up time. And so that ends up coming out to about 75, 80% of that person's salary. So you're talking like that $130,000 engineer that you lost just cost the company $80,000 in hiring costs. And that's one manager, one person leaving because of one manager. Yep. So anyone that says they don't have the time or they're afraid of the cost, I'd actually challenge what's the cost not to train these? What's the cost to lose people? And can you afford to lose your talent because of bad bosses? Well, people continue to uh, try to not do that. And uh, so that's why we still have, after 40, 50 years, the same major excuse why people leave companies, because they have bad bosses. We continue to perpetuate this silliness because we don't want to teach people what they need to know. Uh, Jacob, uh, I know people are going to want to know more about your work. Uh, why don't you share with them how they can easily connect with you and find out a little bit more about your opinions and the things that you do? Yeah, so the consultancy that I run, Lead SV, um, I've actually got a page set up here for Manager Mojo listeners where if they go to leadsv, as in siliconvalley.com forward slash mojo, it's got a couple resources there, some of the stuff we talked about today. And I've also got just a couple of simple assessment tools. So if you just wanna, you know, in the time it takes you to get a cup of coffee, just take stock of your L&D program and say, hey, where's my learning development program at? Is it good? Is it in a bad state? Uh, there's obviously some blog posts, things like that, I'll link in there as well for listeners that are related to some of the stuff we were talking about today. That's awesome. Thank you so much uh, for doing that today, uh, Jacob. And for those of you that are exercising, uh, we will be sure to include a link directly in this post to make it easy for you to go and take advantage of Jacob's offer for us. Uh, Jacob, uh, here at Manager Mojo, we, uh, we always talk about action items. And I'm curious, and uh, speaking to our listeners today, what would be your top two action items that you believe people should take based upon this topic today? So I think the first action item people should take is take stock of what your managers need to succeed. Sit them all down and ask them as a group, where are you struggling and how can I help? So that's the first action item, because you don't know what you don't know, 
and you don't know how bad people are struggling until you sit down and talk with them. And then the second action item that I recommend is do the ROI math. I'll put a link over on leadsv.com forward slash mojo, which is engineering centric, but can help people really see how much it costs to lose engineers so that you can make a case for spending the time to develop the team. Because the reality is that bad managers are gonna cost you and you should be equipped to know just how much it's gonna hurt. Two fantastic action items, Jacob, and uh, thank you so much for doing that and for creating the page for our listeners today. Uh, our topic, or our, excuse me, our guest today is Jacob Huser, and Jacob is the creator of LeadSV.com, uh, as well as uh, he is a an evangelist for, look, let's train our managers so that we can reduce things like turnover. So, Jacob, thank you so very much for sharing your gifts, your talent today. Uh, we at Manager Mojo appreciate it, and we wish you continued success in all your endeavors in the future. Thanks a lot, Steve.